This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Small Town Strip Club, gaining us into Boomsies as we near the end of the summer. Kids only get two months off of school. I consider it the end of the summer when kids go back to school, which in most of the states, they're back already. They, they go back, some go back start of August. But they get out earlier. Yes, but. Mm, that summer break when you're a kid, you get so many options. And then they come to a crashing halt. And then that first week of school, you're like, oh, man, I'm excited to be back. And then come week two, you're like, Fuck this shit. At least I was. I School didn't work with my brain. I needed alternate school. None existed. It is Boomsies episode 31, the Carey Price episode. My favorite goalie in the NHL, aside from Connor Ingram. Con Con, rising star. Good dude. Carey Price, also great dude. Whenever I see him. I never saw my job as like, oh yeah, this this NHL, I'll know who I am. But it's it's still very cool when a guy like Carey Price, when he sees, he's like, hey Dan, I'm like, oh, this is Carey Price. He said hi to me. So it's like being a kid again. I want to start by uh, saying something that needs to be said. Tim Hortons, you've gone too far. You are trying out pizza in some of your stores. Nope. You're done. Your staff used to be responsible for toasting the odd bagel and making a sandwich. And now you're going to have them bowling up some chili, making an ice cap, fixing up a wrap, grabbing a donut, and now throwing a fucking pizza in the oven. That you're done. Or. Timmy's, bring me that one person that walked into one of your stores one day, took a big inhale of that nice coffee and donut smell and thought, hmm, I feel like pizza. Enough. You can't even do the items you have right now correctly. Unless 
Your goal was to have every menu item to have zero taste. Your hash browns were good. And now they're soggy sponges. Bagels, if you ask for a toasted, that bagel glanced at a toaster on its way out the window. That's as toasted as it gets. You think your staff wants more menu items? Every single drive through employee at Tim Hortons already sounds like they're on the verge of a deep, dark depression. Not impression, depression. When they ask for my order, 98% of the time, I want to ask them if they need a hug. Do you want me to come inside and hug you? What is going on behind that counter? And pizza is going to fix that? Your staff already had to deal with people driving up the drive-thru and saying, oh, give me some Bieber balls. Now that you're going to throw pizza at them? Timmy's, just stop. You've gone too far. Okay, I had to get that off my chest. Ask McDonald's how pizza went. They had a big launch. This is in the 90s, I think. McDonald's now serving pizza. Do you see pizza at McDonald's now? If McDonald's can't make pizza work, do you think you are, Timmy's? Hey, Timmy's, how did your hamburgers go? Just stop. Coffee? Donuts. That's all we need. Keep pumping out those Boston creams. That feels good to vent. It's like uh, letting the air out of a balloon. Matt O'Brien is a uh, comedian I follow on Instagram. He was on our old podcast. He's a great follow on Instagram. He put out one of the funniest original jokes that I've seen in a long time. I'll sum it up. He said, I don't like balloon animals because I don't like carrying around a clown's breath all day. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, f- yeah. I got that clown's breath in here. And if this thing deflates, that cr- clown breath is in my house. I don't want that clown breath. Matt O'Brien, we should get him on here. Funny dude. Uh, big news. Boomsies. We have our first ever charitable venture. This is not like, oh, you get one of these things, we're going to get some money. No, this is all going to feeding people. 10 Fed, they make this shirt. If you're watching the video portion, it says, I give a f-, but it doesn't say the F-U-C-K, it says F-C-K. You buy this shirt on 10fed.com, the purchase of this shirt feeds 10 people. The purchase of anything on their website Feeds 10 people. 
So you are getting something while donating. Give gifts, and we've got gifts for you. Boomsies inspired candles. This one is Ron's Cat Dreams. Now, we've been working on this for a few months, so they sent us a ton of scents. And we tested the scents, my daughters and I. We had them for, I'd say, a month. They sent us about 10 cents, and we settled on two. Like, we would burn them, go into the room. Okay, this one smells good. We burn in another part of the house. Okay, this one smells good. We settled on these two. These aren't like potpourri or you walk into some people's houses and you're like, oh my God, they got a maple candle. I can smell that from here. No. These are subtle, amazing scents. One is Ron's Cat Dreams. You buy this candle, it feeds 10 people. The other one is, you're done smelling bad. Let's take a whiff of this. Oh, yeah, baby. You smell that and you're like, that smells good. Uh, Some bullet points here. Boomsies and 10 fed candles making a domino effect of helping others. They're made from organic soy wax, all natural ingredients, no toxins. They're poured here in Canada, in Collingwood. It's in Ontario. 10fed.com. Instagram at 10fed. Exactly how it sounds. T-E-N-F-E-D. Companies based out of Toronto. Started by a couple of small town Canadian fellas, Corey and Mike. Sounded like Don Jerry there. And a couple of Canadian fellas. Every item sold. 10 meals are provided to children in need, including right here in Canada. Buy one, feed 10. Over half a million meals provided so far. It is... A venture that I got behind as soon as they they approached me on my Instagram thing when I did my Danitize stuff. They're like, uh, do you mind uh, promoting this? I said, F- yes. So when they approached us, I said, does Boomsies want to do something? We said, F- yes, because we give a f-. 10fed.com. Get your Ron's cat dreams. Ron's still missing. So it's very poignant. That Ron, who is missing, we now have a candle with his name on it. And I have a video. I had to look it up on my phone. I'm like, I got to find my last image or video of Ron on my phone. And it's eerie. Hopefully we can insert it right here. So yeah, it's me taking a video of Ron. He's like sprawled on the ground. And I say in the video, Ron, are you dead? And now Ron's missing. And that's the last thing I have him on my phone. Boy. So Ron's cat dreams and you're done smelling bad. Ron's cat dreams. That's a nice like manly smell, but again, not overpowering. You like this? You're like. This room smells good. What is that? You're like, it's the stuff of dreams, baby. And you're done smelling bad. You're like, that That smells like uh, 
someone who knows what they're doing. That smells like someone who's got their shit together. You're done smelling bad. 10fed.com. We really appreciate them coming on board and approaching us and saying, uh, do you want to partner with us? We said, yes. What do you need from us? We said, we need you to test some candles. And I'm like, I love candles. This is the greatest thing ever. 10fed.com. Um, we're doing something different today. Because it's still kind of summer break. We're back to the, the regular podcast where we have boomsies, newsies, when kids go back to school. We're doing a, a longer interview because our guest is a guy who has a lot to say. He is the voice of mixed martial arts. He is Canadian. He is one of the industry's truly nice people. He is my friend. Now he will be yours. He is Ariel Hawani. Ariel Hawani, favorite Montreal Expo of all time is? Lenny Webster. No, wrong answer, Tim Wallach. The mm. answer is Tim Wallach. He was good. He was good. But Lenny was my guy. Do you remember Lenny Webster? I do not. Lenny Webster was Jeff Facero's personal catcher in the early 90s. So he would only play once every five days. Short, stocky guy. Nice little bubble butt. He was my guy. And I would go up to him before every game. He gave me his bat, his batting gloves, his autograph. Uh, then he went to go play for the Orioles, started his career with the Twins. For some reason, Lenny was my guy. So do you still have that bat or bat I set? do. I have it at my parents' home in uh, Montreal. I still have all. I used to go, by the way, Dan. Uh, and by the way, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. This is a big honor for me. This is my, I mean, I've been waiting. You launched this show several months ago. <laughs> you don't call, you don't text, you don't write, you don't have me on the show. You, you were on my show. You yes. did incredible numbers for me and I thought I could return the favor, but I guess you didn't want me to. So no, now uh, we're getting the aerial bump after this. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you for having me and congrats on all your success. And it's so great to see you thriving and doing well. Um, and you have a great team behind you. Uh, I used to go two and a half hours early to every Expos game with my brother, David, and we would sign up for a thing called the Desjardins Fan Club. There was a, a bank in Quebec. I don't know if you're familiar with it in Ontario called Desjardins Bank, and you can yes. sign up to this fan club. And what it got you was into the big O a little earlier than the general public, and you had to go to Rusty Stobbs restaurant to have a meal, and then you could go to batting practice. What my brother and I used to do is order a Coke, down it, and then run straight down to the visitor dugout to get as many autographs as possible. So I have a whole like massive shelf thingy in my parents' home with balls signed by the likes of Cal Ripken and Tony Gwynn and um, uh, Barry Bonds, some really great stuff that I just have left there and don't really get to see anymore because I don't go there often. Bank affiliation with teams is very key. So TD's the big partner of the uh, the Jays. So right. when I was a kid, CIBC was the Blue Jays partner. And I made my parents open me account there because I wanted the calendars. I wanted the everything. I want, give me everything, Jays, CIBC. So it is great marketing because you have people that affiliate them with your team. And then you've got them as customers for life. Yes. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite sponsors. And by the way, you can still see me pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. You look great. Okay. I changed my Wi-Fi to put it to a better one. Uh, I like when they go to the pitching changes on the Blue Jays broadcast because now I'm a Jays fan. Uh, I actually have a great Jays story from this past week. And they say, uh, this, uh, this pitching change is, um, 
is brought to you by Sokoloff something. Don't put it off. Call Sokoloff. You know that one? Sokoloff lawyers. Yeah. Yes. And so get, get, get this. My wife's aunt is married to someone with the last name Sokoloff. And we were talking about the Jays and we were talking about something. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's my daughter. I was like, wow, your daughter is the Sokoloff from the pitching changes. This is amazing. <laughs> I was very excited about that. If the Expos had a downtown stadium, would the Expos still be in Montreal? 1,000%. I actually still think that they would be around if they lasted just a few more years with all the revenue sharing and the MLB network stuff and the TV deals. They were just a couple of years off. And I, and I, I mean, I could talk to you three hours about this, but I really feel like the local businesses let the Expos down. You know, there's this narrative that oh, the fans let them down and Major League Baseball let them down, X, Y, and Z. But really, there were many opportunities for many local businessmen to come in, save the day, buy the team, take them over, write the ship, and no one did it. They all wanted to put in their, I don't know, a couple million, Jean Coutu, a couple million, this guy, a couple million, but no one really wanted to come in. And it was only you know now when they made this big push with the likes of Bronfman and whatnot, did you see all these people say, you know what, we do need this, we do want this. Well, too little, too late. I, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but there was a time in the mid-90s where they had this idea for Labatt Park, and it was incredible. It was beautiful. It was downtown. They had a big press conference. Felipe was there. Vladdy was there, and uh, it was just great. You know Montreal. It's a wonderful city. It's incredible in the mm -hmm. summertime, but we only get like two to three nice summers, no uh, months in the summer. No one wants to go all the way to Pineuve in the middle of nowhere in the suburbs, sit in an enclosed stadium in the middle of June and July when, you know, come September, it starts to get chilly outside. So yes, to answer your question if in a very Expos, long way, yes. If the Expos had the same leash that Gary Bettman gives like the Phoenix Coyotes, then they'd definitely still be there. It seems they had a very short leash. Oh my God. I mean, look, uh, in, in a weird way, the brochure slash consortium era to the um, Loria slash Samson era was weird because we all thought Loria was going to be that guy. Well, it turns out Loria was this fraud, right? I actually met Jeffrey Loria, by the way, opening day 2000 in Montreal, Olympic Stadium, we're, we're playing the Mets and he was walking around the concourse and I walked up to him and gave him a hug. I gave Jeffrey Loria <laughs> a hug and I said, no. thank you for saving my team. Little did I know, him and his Benedict Arnold son-in-law were conspiring to kill the team. And then, of course, they do this weird thing that doesn't get talked about often. Like John Henry goes from the Marlins to the Red Sox. Loria and his you know crew of cronies go to the Marlins. And we're left with nothing. Like, no, they couldn't find anyone to buy the team. They couldn't figure this out. So, yeah, it was... It was crazy. And then I'll never forget 2003, they had no owner and they made a run and they were tied for first in the wild card uh, on September 1st on, on Labor Day. And then they had to play the rest of their games in September in Puerto Rico, the home games. It's crazy. <laughs> the big O. I only went to one game there and it was right when there was a lot of uh, French English uh, problems and a lot of the thing that stands out in my mind are two things. A lot of people didn't stand for O Canada. And really? then, um, yeah, it was like, it was a weird time. Okay. What, what year was this? Do you remember? Oh, this would have been in probably late eighties. Okay. Yeah. Weird time. And I remember the seats at the big O were very skinny and I was a small kid and they were skinny to me. Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Oh yeah. There were yellow seats probably. Yes. And they were very loud. 
And of course, when you went <laughs> yeah. to the Big O, there weren't often people sitting next to you. So, you know, if you had 25,000 people in a stadium that seats like 50,000, you know, those things could get really, really loud. And so my friends and I used to like slam them and they would get so they were super, super skinny. They would flip up. They were no padding whatsoever. Only later in the early 90s, did they make like a special section closer to the, you know, the field where the seats were somewhat padded, but they weren't. Look, it wasn't a great stadium. I'm not crazy, but it was our stadium. It was so unique to us. It was special to us. And man, in the 90s, and of course, I wasn't around in the early 80s, but I've read so much and watched so much about it. When that place was full, and it was full, and, and, and people don't want to remember that or acknowledge that, when that place was hopping, like it was loud, and people didn't want to play there, and it was true home field advantage. And it makes me very sad. And you know, uh, when they left in 2004, I was very sad. I remember taking the, I went to the last three games. They were at Shea Stadium playing the Mets. And on the last day, I think it was October 3rd, I went home. I was living in New York and I was crying because it's just weird that your team no longer exists. They just like what they just yeah, disappeared. What, I, like, what do you mean? What about spring training? What about the hope and all that the next year and all that? And uh, it took me a really long time to even watch baseball again. And when I went to one of those spring training games at the Big O for the Jays and I walked in there and it looked and smelled and sounded like the old Expos days. It was unlike a feeling I'll, I'll ever experience because it felt like I saw someone who I thought was dead for, you know, 12 years. And now they're just back. Many, many great memories there. And uh, yeah, I, I do miss them a lot. I really do. Did you ever see Vladdy Jr. before he was Vladdy Jr. now? Yes. Uh, in fact, really? yes, because he used to go to all the games and he would be there. And there's a famous photo yeah. of him with his dad. And he's... Uh, Oh, yeah. I love that show. In fact, that photo uh, in 2003, one of Vladdy's last seasons, I think his last season was 2003 when I was a student at Syracuse. I love that picture so much. It was actually the background on my laptop uh, when I was a student at Syracuse because it was just, I mean, he's like such a cute kid, right? He's a little chubby and his dad's there. And, you know, Vladdy didn't really let us into his life very much. Like I couldn't even tell you what Vlad's um, voice sounds like. He never spoke English. Mm -hmm. He hardly did media very shy, very reserved, kept to himself. And that's why he loved Montreal, lived with his mom. She cooked for him. So just getting to see his son running around and knowing that that's Vlad's son and just like a window into who this like mysterious superstar was, was really cool. And and honestly, that's why, you know, I bought Vladdy Jr. jerseys for my boys. That's why, you know, they're Jays fans now because it's what I went to the game last Thursday at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And you, you, you were filming yes. him at bat and you got yes. his whole, you got his home run. And I, I watched it like 10 times. I'm like, this is so cool. Dan, that was the first time that I saw a Guerrero family member play in, in, uh, in person in like 18 years, 19 years, something like that. And, uh, you know, here's his son who's doing incredibly wear, well, wearing number 27 and all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know what? Let me just capture this moment. And he hits a home run, and I totally botched yeah. it. Like, I mean, my camera work was horrible, but I was freaking out. It was unbelievable. Now, so that's a moment that is tough to describe. But Jesse Spector, I follow him on Twitter, and he took his kid to a Yankee game, and he's like, no one's, I'm not going to remember anything from this, but essentially, I'll try to sum it up best. He's like, he saw Aaron Judge hit a home run, and maybe he hit two home runs in that game. And he will never forget that game for the rest of his life. And I, I think back like someone who would have seen that home run or seen an Aaron Judge home run or entering a ballpark. I don't know if you were the same as the ki as a kid. I, I don't feel it now because I've been around ballparks and stuff. 
but the first time you enter a stadium and you're like looking around, you're trying to peek down the aisleway so you can see the oh, field. Yeah. The first time you see the field under the TV lights, you're like, oh my God, is this a dream? Like there's nothing like a baseball game to bring those feelings out. Couldn't agree more. And it's funny we're talking about this because I had this amazing experience last week. So uh, I'm friends with Alec Manoa's agent, a guy by the name of Jeff Randazzo. And he's a really nice guy. And uh, he used to manage or represent some MMA fighters. That's how I met him. He works for the Balanji Group. And when they drafted Manoa, when the Jays drafted Manoa and he knew that I was following them, he's like, hey, if you ever want to go to a game when he gets called up, this that. And now that he's become a star, he's like, if you ever want to go to a game, let me know. So finally, my, my kids are taking some interest into baseball. And I was like, all right, I want to take them last Thursday. So he gets his batting practice tickets, passes all this stuff. But I didn't really, I thought we'd be sitting in the stands, you know. So we get these passes and I'm there with my my two boys, my daughter and my wife. And there's someone escorting us and they're escorting us Yankee Stadium. You know, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I can appreciate what that place is and what that team represents. And they're escorting us onto the field. Like we're literally standing on the field. And I'm like, guys, this is Yankee Stadium. I've never stood on a baseball field before. You know, I get to talk to cool people and get to go to cool fights. And, you know, I get to interview Conor McGregor and stuff like that. But I was blown away and we're just standing there and there's Bo Bichette and there's Vladdy and there's Jordan Romano and I'm like guys you know how cool this is I I felt like I was 10 years old and then Alec comes over and he hangs with us for five minutes and he couldn't have been a nicer guy and it just brought back all those memories of being a part of the Desjardins fan club and uh, going to those games early with my brother in Montreal there's nothing like a baseball stadium in the summertime your team is playing well you're invested your guys come up they hit home runs like ugh. I mean, I get chills just thinking about it. I, I, I think it's heavenly and I feel sorry for anyone who's not able to like experience that and, 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 and have that kind of satisfaction because it's such a special game and it just represents so many great things, at least for me. I'm glad that you still get those feelings because we kind of become jaded in this industry. We take things for granted after a while, but I remember walking onto the Jays field at uh, Sky Dome or whatever the hell they were calling it then. Uh, it wasn't Sky Dome. What was oh, it Exhibition before? Stadium? Was it in between? No, it was Sky Dome, and then it was named something else, then Rogers. Or was it Sky Dome into Rogers? I think it was Sky Dome into Rogers always. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I walked onto the field, and I was working up in Fort McMurray, and I, I sent them an email saying, can I get a press pass? And I just wanted to to go get interviews with players for a sports show. And I walked onto that field for the first time as a, as a media member. And I was like, I'm, am I supposed to yeah. be here? Is this happening? And now if I went and did it now, it wouldn't be that same type of feeling, but yeah, just such a, such an amazing sport. Um, okay. So I follow you on uh, social media as everyone does. Thank and you. everyone was freaking out Saturday about oh, yeah. the UFC. And I, I've been, out to lunch because it's the summer it's in Canada and we take advantage of every second of sunlight we can get. So I don't know anything that's going on in the world. My mom's updating me on Jay's games. She's like blue Jay's big win today. I'm like, I was on the golf course. Okay, wow. So, so Leon Edwards. Yes. Rocky. Wins. And the world of MMA freaks out. Yes. Why was everyone freaking out about Leon Edwards winning? See, here's the thing. I was trying to explain this to some of my family members on Sunday, 
And then it occurred to me, like, here I am showing them because they're like, oh, how was the fight last night? And I show them this great knockout and they're like, oh, wow, that was a crazy knockout. But unless you understand the full story of Leon Edwards, you can't really appreciate what he did. And unless you even understand what was happening in that fight, you can't like if you just watch the knockout, it's a knockout. But if I could give me a couple minutes and I'll explain to you why this. That, was that's why I incredible. went to you. I want the backstory. I want to know why everyone was freaking out about this win and that kick. OK, Leon Edwards, young man born in Jamaica, born in Jamaica to a 15 year old woman. Uh, a 15-year-old woman who was married to a man who was involved in gangs and drugs and just not a good scene. Didn't even know that he had a brother named Fabian who also has become a great MMA fighter for Bellator until he was six years old and found out that she was living with his grandmother. When he's around uh, nine or so, they move to Birmingham, England for a better life. And they try to get out of the scene in Jamaica, which was becoming very troublesome. When he's around 13, his dad is murdered. His dad is not in a great, you know, scene, as I just explained, and now he's fatherless and he's very close to his mother. Uh, but he's going down the same path as his, uh, you know, his father, and he's getting involved in bad things, fights, gangs, all this stuff. They're walking by a gym when he's 17. She says, I want you to go to this gym and train really only to get him off the streets, right? And I know this is somewhat of a common story as far as fighters are concerned, but just stick with me here. So he goes to this gym and he hasn't left. He has stayed in Birmingham. He's still training at that gym. He's about to turn 31 on Thursday. But why this guy is so special and why uh, I have followed him and, and really like tried to champion his cause for the last few years is because Leon Edwards unlike a lot of the other European fighters, and we know about some of them, the likes of Conor McGregor, and there's a guy now named Patty Pimblett and Michael Bisping back in the day, typically look loud, uh, you know, kind of braggadocious, um, entertaining, colorful characters, right? They've got this bravado, they puff their chest out. Leon Edwards couldn't be further away from that type of character. He's a very quiet guy. He's a somewhat shy guy, somewhat awkward guy, a very kind of hard hat blue collar, lunch pail kind of guy from a blue collar town in Birmingham, which he refers to as the trenches, uh, you know, not the most glamorous place to grow up in England. And when he got to the UFC, you know, his career was kind of up and down. And then he meets a guy named Kamaru Usman, who, you know, was the welterweight champion as of Saturday in 2015. And they fight on an undercard of a fight in Orlando. I was there. It was an okay fight. Usman beats him. That was 2015. He has not lost since then. He has now won 11 straight fights. I should say unbeaten in 11 because there's no contest in there, but he has not lost since 2015. However, because he is not the most braggadocious, loud, colorful guy, he doesn't get any opportunities. It's very rare to have to go unbeaten in 10 fights to get a title shot. Some guys get a title shot after one fight, two fights, something like that. This guy had to go through so many hoops, roadblocks, obstacles, and even when there was no one left standing, they were still trying to make his life difficult. So things start to really get interesting for him in 2019. And he fights a guy named Gunnar Nelson in London, at the O2 in London. And he beats Gunnar, but Gunnar was more popular. And it wasn't the most entertaining fight. He gets booed by his own people in, in London. They always cheer their own. He gets booed. Backstage, Jorge Masvidal just is coming off a knockout of Darren Till. London's own, and now he becomes a superstar, and he sees Leon backstage. Leon Edwards from the streets of Birmingham, from Jamaica, gangs, all that stuff. And he Leon said something about Jorge that he was like a journeyman, but like nothing really bad. 
Leon punches him in the face backstage in front of cameras. And this propels Jorge into superstardom because he did this interview afterwards where he's like, I gave him a three piece in a soda and I glided on out of there and everyone loved it. And so the story afterwards was, oh, Leon has to get revenge. Like you got to do Jorge versus Leon now, right? Like the guy just got jumped backstage. There's got to be a payoff here. UFC never gave him the payoff. They went with Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren, which ended up working because Masvidal knocked out Ben Askren in six seconds and then become an even bigger star. And then he fought Nate Diaz in MSG. Meanwhile, Edwards can't get a fight. They ship him off to San Antonio where no one cares about him to fight a really tough guy named RDA. He beats RDA, Rafael Dos Santos. Then his next fight was March, I believe it was 21st, 2020. What happened in March of 2020? Oh yeah, the pandemic. He was six days away from headlining the O2 against Tyron Woodley, the welterweight champ, former welterweight champion of the UFC. They called him on the Sunday where everything shut down, like a few days after March 11th. And they're like, we need you to get to America right now because we're going to do this fight against Woodley on an Indian reservation and it'll be great. And he's like, what are you talking about? I can't leave my, my, my son in England and just go to America while the world is shutting down and, and not know if I'm going to be able to come back. No, I can't do it. So they punish him for this. They say, all right, you're not in. We're going to move to someone else. And they give the Woodley fight to someone else. They punished him because he needed to stay home in the early days of the pandemic. Then they didn't give him a title shot. And I won't bore you with so many other details. But then they made him fight this guy named Hamza Chemaev, who's this locomotive from Chechnya, but wasn't even ranked. Leon was the third ranked guy in the world at 170. This dude's not ranked. They were trying to kill him off. He says, all right, fine. After a back and forth, He's like, okay, they took him out of the rankings as a punishment because initially he didn't want to take this fight. This is how much they were screwing this guy. He says, fine, I'll fight him. Fight gets canceled once. He agrees to fight him a second time. Canceled. Third time. Canceled. What the hell does this guy have to do? Then he fights a guy named Bilal Muhammad. He's looking great in, in, 2020, uh, in 2021. And by mistake, he pokes him in the eye. The fight gets called off and it's a no contest. And he's devastated. He can't win. Then he gets a huge opportunity against Nate Diaz. In June of last year, this is this is the opportunity. Finally, Leon, poor Leon, is going to finally get his due, his big opportunity. And what happens? He's beating him for 24 minutes. But in the last minute, Diaz hits him with a couple strikes, rocks him, and everyone crowns Diaz the unofficial winner of the fight, even though he lost very, very convincingly. Everyone's like, oh, did you see what Nate did in the final minute? Leon, you suck. Then they say you're going to have to fight Masvidal in December. The guy who jumped him three years ago, but now is a lot less, you know, up at the top because he lost a couple fights in a row. He says yes, even though he deserved the title shot. What happens? Masvidal gets injured, and now he's left in limbo, and he finally gets this title shot against Kamaru Usman, the rematch of the fight seven years ago in Utah, of all places, Salt Lake City, Utah, on the same day that Anthony Joshua, who's a much bigger star in England, is fighting, so he's getting completely overshadowed by that. He didn't even hear, he doesn't even know what Utah is. He told me he didn't even heard of it when he got offered this fight in Utah. Kid from England has to go to Utah to fight the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world, and what happens? First round, he's winning. He's doing well. Second round, third round, fourth round, getting smoked, overmatched, overpowered. Now we're into the fifth round, the final round. Now we're at the four-minute mark. Now there's less than a minute left. And with 56 seconds left, he throws this kick and knocks him out. And the whole world explodes. And I do a show, a post-show on Saturday after the events. And I get to talk to people from all over the world. They call in. And the emotion that I heard, it's 7 a.m. in the UK. People are calling, crying from Birmingham, from Scotland, from London, crying about what this man, who they all said was boring, had no personality, no character, couldn't elicit any emotion. What he has done 
what he has brought out in people over the past 48 hours has been unlike anything I've ever seen in the sport. And I'm sorry for going long, but it's important to recognize that this is why this sport is so special because everyone sees themselves in Leon Edwards. He's the everyman. He's the guy who had been screwed over by the pandemic. The last two years had to eat all these crap sandwiches, was, was screwed over by his own company. His own bosses didn't want him to succeed. And he freaking prevailed and he kept going and he kept going. And now he's the champion of the world. It's, it's one of the greatest stories that I've ever had a chance to witness in the sport. And you told it very well. Do you think the UFC is kind of pissed that he won? No, because they've seen okay. this. They've seen what's happened now. Okay. I can assure you of this. They didn't think he was going to win. They didn't want him to win. Kamara was the bigger star. But now they're talking about maybe bringing him to Wembley Stadium. And they've never done a Wembley show before. And I mean, like Leon could do no wrong. I did a show Monday. It's the most watched show that I've done in uh, in over a year just because of him because he came on. And so, uh, no, they've got a star on their hands here. And it's a really different kind of star, right? Leon ain't showing up with three-piece suits and, you know, doing all this stuff. Like, he is himself. He's just a guy who shows up in a in a ball cap and a T-shirt. And, and, and that's what people love about him. He's just himself and a little rough around the edges in terms of, like, not being the most polished interview. But everyone can see themselves in him, and that's what makes him so special. Where does Leon live now? Birmingham. Same spot. Okay, so it's okay. so he did travel for that fight because I was going to say if they want him to go to England to fight, Onright's theory was if you've got a belt, never travel, never travel. You mean the fight this past weekend? Or well, the- so he traveled for that one. He traveled for that one. But if they want him to fight in England, he'd have to go back there. Yeah, but Birmingham so is fine. in England. That's fine. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's what I'm saying. He would be on his home turf. Oh, yeah, yeah. Defending his belt. Exactly. And he deserves Are that. you of the same theory as Hunright? If you've got a belt, don't leave <laughs> the place you like the, the country you live in. I, I, yeah, I get that. But uh, sometimes there's like incredible circumstances. I would just say if you're the champion, try to have like, you know, home court advantage, right? Try to, to try not to be the the less popular guy when you're defending the belt. Yeah. Uh, I you, love that you told me Birmingham's in England. I was, I was, I was like, wait, does but, he think he's from Alabama? What's going on here? No, 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 <laughs> no. Was that the first ever event in Utah? Pay per view, yeah. They they had done one before, but it was like a smaller fight night show. And uh, Dana White is friends with the new owner of the Jazz, so um, you know they they struck this deal to come. The UFC is killing it right now, and they're basically only going to markets where they're getting paid to come. Like people are trying to like entice them to come. And so Utah, it was like a tourism thing. Oh, Salt Lake, come check us out. And it was very weird. It was like a dude from Nigeria, the champ, Kamaru, fighting a guy from Jamaica slash Birmingham, fighting for the belt in Utah. It made no sense. But you know what You know what he said to me today? He said, I never heard of Utah and now I'll never forget it. So pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the UFC is killing it. Did they gain a lot of new fans during the pandemic because they were the first sport back? 1000%. I mean, it was a controversial move. It was uh, a move that I felt uncomfortable with when we didn't really know what was going on in the world, right? And here's the UFC who tried to never stop running shows, by the way, and then tried to come back in April of 2020. Uh, Eventually, Disney told them to shut it down. And then they came back in early May in Jacksonville. And there was a good period there. I mean, you you remember... uh, MLB came back late July, NHL, NBA came back late July. There was a good two and a half months where there was nothing going on. And so I know of a ton of people who were just jonesing for entertainment, jonesing for live sports, jonesing to bet. And the the the, the idea of coming back so soon in the pandemic, 
in addition to the rise of gambling, sports betting apps, and all that stuff, couldn't have worked out better for them. And and in addition to being on ESPN, this huge platform that was able to promote them, and there was nothing else going on. I mean, I benefited from it. I'm I'm like leading off Sports Center on ESPN to talk about like these minute stories. They wouldn't even like fart in my face, you know, if there was a normal you know sports schedule going on. So yeah, the sport definitely benefited from that, no doubt about it. You mentioned uh, sports wagering uh, during the pandemic. Do you know what a lot of people wagered on during the pandemic table tennis yeah because they were jonesing right all kinds of weird stuff like that but then once mma came and i know there are people who probably weren't fans and they were looking for other things as well but like i know neighbors and cousins and people who were never interested in what i watched and did for a living were hitting me up like so is michelle waterson gonna win tonight i'm like you know who michelle waterson is (laughs) like ah yes your your uh your sports betting app is asking you um you mentioned uh, Dana. How are you guys these days? Oh, we're great. Um, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna have Shabbat dinner later on this week. <laughs> now I'm joking. Um, no, I mean I would say our we have uh, a non-existent relationship. Uh, I've, I've not seen him in person in quite some time. I've not talked to him in person since. Uh, I mean, 2016. It might be at this point time is flying. So yeah, I uh I don't have a relationship with him, but I think we kind of stay out of each other's hair. I know he doesn't have hair, but you get my point. Um <laughs> obviously I talk about the UFC a lot and you know, yeah. I I think I am very complimentary of I mean just look at me now talking about this. They get annoyed about the 1% of time that I am critical that I speak about pay fighter pay and unions and competition and free agency and they'll take that one percent and say look at ariel he's a hater he doesn't want us to succeed he's blah 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 blah, blah." which is ludicrous because as you know in sports we talk about all kinds of things contracts and arbitration and trades and management and blah 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 so you know it's not all you know rainbows and, and lollipops but they don't quite get that in any event you know we're all good. Look, as long as I can cover the sport and and do it in an honest mm-hmm. and fair way and everyone leaves me alone, I don't need any special treatment. I don't need the text messages, the phone calls that I used to get and all that stuff. It's uh, it's totally fine. As long as there's some kind of respect there, I don't know if there is on his end, probably not, but you know, I'm comfortable and very happy with where things are at the moment. Uh, the backstory, uh, Dana White doesn't like Eric <laughs> or something like that. I, I, is that. Is that the summation? Um, is that the correct summation? I th- yeah, I feel like I that's know. fair. I feel like I'm okay. one of his favorite people. And where was, was it where you where stood up? He liked me. What's that? There was a time where he liked me, but I don't think so anymore. How about the time where you stood up at a weigh-in, I think, and you asked a question and the crowd went nuts? Yeah. That w- where was that and how <laughs> did that feel? You must have been almost in tears. Oh, man. Well, the first time it happened really like on a large scale was – in 2016 it was the first show back after i was banned at ufc 199 and then the first show was ufc 200 and ufc 200 was a really big deal right it was brock lesnar and john jones and daniel cormier like a lot of big stars uh were on this card it was a big you know um big moment for the company and they had this huge press conference at one of the mgm properties and i stood up to ask Brock a question. And when you stand up at these press conferences, there is a bunch of fans there. There the press conferences are usually, you know, with a lot of fans. And when I stood up and they showed me on the screen, the place just erupted and it was crazy. Like I had to wait for them to be quiet to ask the question. So that really felt good. 
And, and again, for people that don't know, that was everyone saying, they, hey, we got yeah. your back. Buddy. Oh, man. If, if, if it wasn't for the fans, I, I wouldn't have been unbanned. Like, they revolted. They just wanted this to get swept under the rug. And, and there was this whole movement where they revolted in my favor and um, started posting pictures of them canceling their Fight Pass subscriptions, which is like their Netflix or whatever. And it became this huge surreal movement for 48 hours so yes that was them sh showing love and then it, it would happen every like there was what time um before john jones's uh, rematch against alexander gustafson in la i stood up and they were like they were saying ariel ariel was crazy it was it was like a little uncomfortable because i'm not here to try to take any shine away from the fighters just there to ask a question and dana's face would uh, often turn beat red but um <laughs> yeah, man, the fans, I think it's because I came into the sport covering it as a kind of raw, like I was very unpolished, right? And I still am to a degree, but I wasn't some guy coming from another sport just trying to attach himself to this, you know, cool new fad. I was just a fan who wanted to be a journalist who then said, hey, there's no one covering this sport. Let me go down this path. And I think that maybe endeared myself to them because they saw my passion and how genuine I was about the sport and have supported me ever since. If I was there, I would have cried for mm. you. I'm a cry. No, it was great. It was very, it's, it's, there's been many moments where the fans have been so good to me where I've wanted to cry or, you know, I have cried. People have made fun of me for that. I even cried on today's show, by the way, uh, that I did. Oh, what'd you cry I was about? talking about uh, Leon Edwards and his mom and the relationship that he has with his mom. He's very close to her. And when he had that fight against Bilal Muhammad and it ended in the eye poke, no contest, he, he on camera, he was seen on the bus um, back to the hotel calling his mom on FaceTime and crying to her. And fast forward to this fight on Saturday, we saw him as he was leaving the arena, calling his mom on FaceTime and crying to her. And so it, you know, I'm very close to my mother as well. And it just, you know, it reminded me of like in the good times and the bad times, what do we do first? We call our mom and we cry. We cry in the good times. We cry in the, and like, you know, your mom is always going to be there for you. So I was just thinking of that and uh, how beautiful it was and, you know, how, how it was great to see that side of him and knowing about the crying after the Bilal fight and seeing him get that moment now in a positive way was really cool. I cried twice before this podcast. Why? Um, because of social media, someone sent a story out where uh, a ref had a heart attack during a basketball game. This player came over. He was like a firefighter. It was like a semi-pro league and ended up saving his life. And of course, they bring the guy into the interview. So it's their first time seeing each other. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, man. So that got me. And then another one was a Sesame Street clip from like the 80s where this kid's counting with one of the monsters. And then it morphs into the kid now oh, no. who's in the Air Force and he's continuing the counting said, hey, let's continue this, continue this. And the kid, when he was uh, counting, he was going like 16. So he started doing that as an adult. Uh, and I'm just like, I was in tears. It's brilliant. just like that. Whoever yeah. came up with that Sesame is Sesame Street. Very smart. That's a great idea. Um, oh, we're getting, oh man, we have so much to get to. Um. Will there no, will there ever be another Conor McGregor? Of course, there wasn't. But someone like what? What was his wealth going into the UFC, and what is it now? What do you estimate oh, his wealth at right now? Far be it for me to count someone else's five hundred, uh, five hundred million more. Yeah, I mean he's doing well. Like his uh, whiskey did well. Like his booze thing, yeah. he's going to sell that for a lot, isn't he? I think he did already. Okay, uh, proper twelve. Yeah, proper twelve. And I think have you ever had it? No, you don't drink. 
No, I don't drink. What no. a crazy question that I just asked you. Um, no, that's that's not. A well, you might have had before, right? Yeah. No, I think. Yeah, I never. I don't think it was in Canada. Uh, got it. Maybe it is now. So he would think he sold that. He would have made some good coin. One hundred percent. And you know, when he fights and he has a bunch of sponsors. But, you know, there was not a Conor McGregor until 2013, and then he comes along. And this sport is so big now, and it's inspiring so many people. You know, like the Leon thing is going to – you know, I always think of the um, the story of Patrick Waugh, the great Montreal Canadiens goalie. And I remember, you know – My favorite goalie of all time. The man, number 33. They should have never traded him. Um Later on, you know, he used to do like the butterfly thing. The saves was the but, yes. and, and then like you know, fifteen years later, everyone was like, "Well, these are descendants of Patrick," because all the Quebec goalies were doing the same thing. And it's like that documentary, the Carter Effect, about Vince Carter and basketball in Canada. And so I always feel like when a moment like this happens with either Connor a few years ago or Leon Edwards on Saturday in ten, fifteen years, we're going to see a trickle down effect of this. And and as the sport continues to grow and evolve and get more popular. There are going to be more kids who are going to say, no, I want to do that instead of boxing. I want to do that instead of uh, football. Now I would say to them, there ain't a ton of money to make unless you you know, reach the very top. But uh, the sport is only getting bigger and better. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But the way he sold himself was so unique. Like we had, it's our most viewed clip ever from the Fox Sports Live days where we had uh, him and Nate on. Yeah. And they were in different rooms doing their media thing. And we just prodded them. And then they just started going at each other. And we're like, this sells itself. Like magical. he knew how to, well, he knows how to sell a fight. He was magical. The whole thing was magical. The whole thing with Nate was magical. And I'm not ready to uh, say Connor is done. He's still relatively young. And I know he's been through a lot. And I know he has a lot of money. And he doesn't have to do this ever again. But uh, he, he has a Lamborghini yeah. yacht. No, he's living. He's living the dream. And he really likes watches on social media. He's got a lot of watches. How many watches does he have now? 500? I have not asked him. I don't like. I can't even imagine what his life is like. I just hope for him that, uh, you know, the story of the fighter who has the money and then loses the money and all that. I just hope it all works out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had a few tough years there where he was getting in trouble and whatnot. Hopefully that's all behind him. And, and, you know, we benefited, we all benefited from the Conor McGregor. There was nothing better than that period. It was incredible. It was magical. And so I hope that we get a few more McGregor fights if he wants to fight. And I, I feel confident saying there will be other McGregor-like characters, maybe not someone as entertaining, dynamic, good, because that's the thing that people forget about Conor, by the way. He was really, really good. Like, he was not a sideshow. Like, I feel like history isn't being very kind to him because of the stuff that he did later on. But there was that stretch there from 13 to 16 where he was like on fire and beating guys who were the very top of the food chain. Like his fight against Eddie Alvarez at Madison square garden in November of 2016 is one of the greatest performances by a challenger in a title fight that I've ever seen. And Eddie Alvarez is no bum. He's a hall of famer. So I, I I hope that history is kind to him and, and that people remember just how good he was. And he wasn't just some character. I remember when he was walking around Fox uh, when he was an analyst with us because he had a broken leg or something. He had a cane. I'm like, who the hell is this mm-hmm. guy? That was well before anyone knew who the hell Conor McGregor yeah. was. Uh, he even came on our podcast. Yeah, he uh, told ACL. Because they, they did the old car wash yeah. at Fox. So if you, you came to Fox, you had to do all the shows, including our dumb little podcast. That must have been amazing. I bet he <laughs> was incredible. Uh, he was great. He was uh, He was not... He was very reserved, I found, on that podcast. Well, um, 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that Connor, especially, well, was that after he injured himself or before? This was a bit after he was getting ready for a fight. I think it was he was coming back, maybe his first or second fight back. But he, again, wasn't a big name. And he, I think he needs uh, to be live. I to think be also live and uh, maybe, and feel free to tell me if I'm insulting you, but I think if he feels like you're not like a hardcore fight fan, that he can't connect with you. You know what I mean? Like you haven't been watching his cage yeah. warrior fights and all that stuff from back in the day. And I, yeah, I was probably asking, does it hurt to get punched? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I didn't ask that, by the I way. Know. I did not ask that. But I think Jay's first question was, so you used to be a plumber? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe that made him reserved. And I didn't, I, it was news to me. I'm like, I didn't know he used to do that. Yeah. That was his job before. An apprentice. Yeah. Is that your uh, cat? Wow. Yeah, that's little Remy. What's up? Remy likes, uh, hey. likes to sniff around. How many cats do you have? Oh, you used to have three. One's uh, missing. You're kidding. No, Ron the cat. He's uh, been is... missing for over a month. Uh, then the news is not looking good. Are but you... I still assume he's on vacation. Does this make you sad? I haven't gotten to that point. I, I still re I still believe he returns. And uh, these candles that I displayed here, we're doing our first uh, uh, charitable venture. We have Boomsy's candles. So they were making these up in which... You buy one of these candles, they ten they feed ten people. It's with ten fit. And wow. one of the cats is called Ron's Cat Dreams. Wow. It's very well, poignant. I, and the yeah, last video, which I showed earlier on the podcast, the last video, the last image I have of Ron on my phone is me taking a video of him because he's lying like all sprawled. I'm like, Ron, are you dead? So that's the what? last video slash no. image I have of him. Ask him if he's dead. Do do the cows, cats like escape? Do like would he be out? No, he's an outdoor cat. He likes to. Oh, he yells at you until you would let him outside. So to uh, avoid the annoyance, we just like okay, go. And then he comes in, has a snack, goes back out. He lounges on the deck. He just he he likes to be out there. Brings his dead can, dead can mice. You walk him? No, you can't walk a cat. If you do walk a cat, you look like a crazy person. I've never been a big cat guy. So like if you put a, no, they're a, great because the reason being, if you have a dog, you yeah. have to race home to walk them. You have to get up to walk them. Cats, you don't have to walk them. They, they poop in the house. They do poop in the house. Is that a good There's thing? There's things called litter boxes that they go in. Isn't that gross though? Ah, it's hidden away in the old part of the basement where the ghosts hang out. So it's all good. And they know where to go. Um, Yes, the, the litter box. It's yeah, but how do you train the cat to know to go there? They come trained. I don't wow. have to do the training. I think you just put keep putting them in a litter box until they're trained. Do they smell the litter box and that's how they know where to go? I believe so. They smell. Oh, yeah, that's right. I took a earlier. Oh, and how often do you change the litter box? Um, It should be every day. I do it every second day. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You just like dump it out in the garbage. Yeah, it clumps up. You put it in a bag, throw it in the trash. <laughs> do you, well, do you it's leave... the same as you have to pick up your dog crap. Oh, yeah. Well, do you leave the trash in your kitchen or wherever? No, or you... no, okay. no. That goes It goes straight, straight from outside. the basement right outside. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Immediately yeah. outside. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird. in a part of a basement where you, you would never know we have litter boxes. Okay. Just curious. Uh, okay, well, I guess we got to end on that note because... Uh, That's the Tim, note. I... I <laughs> <laughs> litter boxes yeah i know exactly what tim is doing right now 
What? When I ask another question, he's going like this. Ah! Why? No, he's like still go. Ah! What's the, what's wrong? Because he he wants to we're go. We're supposed to have these podcasts a certain length, oh. and now he's like, oh, uh, oh, so he's now, like we're f- now we're f- he's probably killing me that uh killing him that i'm asking about litter boxes at this point. <laughs> oh Man, yeah shut up oh yeah this better see the light of day tim or I, there will be emails i thought this was the best part of the interview or conversation i thought it was all great i okay. wanted to get to weigh-ins how dangerous they are to fighters if that's still danger because it's terrifying to watch them get up there and some of them like can almost pass out yeah but I guess we can't get. Uh, well, we can is there any again. way to fix that? Is there any way oh, to fix that? I didn't know you were teaming up for something. I thought you were well, just sure. Me well, why not? Uh, Let's just get one. Is more there any way to fix it? Yeah, more weight classes. But then, then it becomes like boxing, and no one likes it, right? Because there's like a million belts. How about and... a how about a weigh in? It's called weigh what you weigh today. Then someone's going to try to you know. But that would be back to the original UFC where it was no weight classes. Oh, yeah. No one wants that. You don't want like a 200 pounder fighting. a. Did you get those pay-per-views? I would get those with my buddies because it was pure mayhem. My grandparents used to have one of those black boxes where they got pay-per-views and it would just play over and over again. Um, So, yes, I didn't see the first UFC live, but I definitely saw it because, you know, there would be like wrestling pay-per-views, boxing pay-per-views, other pay-per-views, and they would just like replay them over and over and over again. So I stumbled upon it and I love pro wrestling. I was like, wow, this is actually real because this looks like WWF. Uh, and it was, it was crazy. Hoist Gracie always f***ed us off because we're like, oh man, we want to see someone's head get taken off. Not a little chokehold. Come on. He's a badass. He's beating guys up. Oh, I know. 30 pounds. We wanted to see Butterbean take someone's head off or something. Ty Woodley. Yeah. Did he try to win that fight against the Paul brother? Yeah, of course. Well, you watch videos that are like, see, he drops his oh, arm here. He's telling them. Damn. Okay, so debunk it. Debunk it for me because people we were like, you see about? that? It's the that's the tell. That's the tell. Oh. That's when he told him that's when he takes the shot. Oh, get that. Listen, I was sitting I'm there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I saw that one. I'm like, I don't oh, know. come on. I was sitting there. There was nothing okay. fake about that. That was like a freaking bomb exploding. Like he hit him with everything and, uh, no, that was so dumb. When all that stuff came out, that's just people who don't like Jake Paul and don't want to give him credit. That's all it is. And that was Woodley. He got more in those two fights than he ever made in his lifetime at the UFC, right? Yeah, and he's a U- former UFC champion. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? Uh, well, thank you, my friend. Uh, Expos, you. when are they coming back to Montreal? Uh, give, me a, give me an over-under on a year. Say, I'll be a... I'll be an optimist. It's 2022. I'll say 2030. I was going to say 2030. So you taking the under on 2030 or the over? So it's got to be 2030 under. and a half. So you got to take the over on under. You're taking the under. Okay. So the Expos will be back before There was all this talk about the Rays and all that. That was nonsense. And you're just a great person because you're the, well, we have a few, but you are one that stands out that has always reached out to Jay and I whenever we do something or move to another country or move back to another country, you're the first to send us a message. So it's much appreciated. You're the man. You're the man. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Go Jays and Expos. Ariel Hawani giving us the details about the UFC. Um, 
that I needed. Still love to know what Conor McGregor's wealth is at, but he raised a good point. Conor's, uh, Ariel said, I hope he doesn't burn through all that cash. The latest Instagram video from Conor was them taking his Lamborghini yacht like out to the water. I think he just got it. <laughs> it looks like it's from the future. I don't know the price tag on that. But I'm sure a Lamborghini yacht is not cheap. Maybe he had to sell some of those watches. His proper 12 thing probably paid for it. If he sold that. I don't know. Good to see him spending his money. And now you can spend your money and help others. 10fed.com. Get your Ron's Cat Dreams candles. Every single penny of these goes to feeding people. It's not going... We aren't building another wing of uh, the Boomsy Studios. What we got out of this was two candles. That's all we wanted. Because the 10 Fed guys, they said, uh, let's help people. And we said, we need to do that. Thank you for supporting them. You can get your t-shirt there as well. Um, and I think that's about it. I believe next week is a very special episode as we will be going outside and having a barbecue on the podcast. We're going to be, oh, it's going to be like the end of summer bash as we get ready for the Orno Fair. I can't wait. You have yourself a great week. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. And thank you for supporting TedFed, TenFed.com. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Boomsies with Dan O'Toozy. Live from Orno in the heart of Ontario. Oh, baby, Boomsies.